0: So we are going through our series through the book, God in My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. And in this book, the author talks about our life uh, as being supported by a trellis, like a garden trellis. You know, a trellis is, is, is created, something we, we put into our garden, a man-made thing to help the plant to grow straight and tall into the sun. And so he talks about building a trellis, an intentional rule, a trellis for our Christian life. So we've looked at... Uh, The foundational disciplines of Sabbath keeping, of prayer, of scripture, of our bodies, of of our play, of our money. And today we're going to be talking about work, our work. And work is 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 a huge part of our time in life is spent working. So if Jesus is the Lord of our life, if we are following Jesus with all of our hearts, then our work is certainly a huge part of our following of Jesus and our ministry. So I invited my friend Steve to share this morning. He's worked very faithfully uh, for many years in the same spot, and I know how he thinks of work as being worshiped, so I wanted to hear his thoughts on this topic. Thank you so much, Steve.
1: So the timing of reading this chapter about work is interesting in my life, because as I'm sure as most of you have heard, Quad is shutting down our Saratoga printing plant. And the good news for me is I'm keeping my job. I'm going to work full-time remote, but I have hundreds of coworkers, many of whom I would call friends, who are going to be out of a job sometime between the first week of March and the first week of May. Um, the, the, the company is doing what they can to help people to get jobs. There's opportunities to transfer to other plants. There will be job fairs. They're helping people with their resumes. Uh, they're doing the best they can uh, in a difficult circumstance. Because as any of you know, more and more of things that used to be done through print and paper is done on the internet. And even though our company is, has done a great job, if our customers are hurting, and they are, then we hurt. And um, Saratoga was the first plant that Quad built outside of Wisconsin. And um, there's only one other plant left that's outside of Wisconsin that hasn't been shut down yet, that Quad built, that's in Georgia. And I'm pretty sure the reason we closed down is because we're in New York and it's much more expensive to produce work in New York. Um, the interesting thing for me is the the whole idea of working remote permanently and honestly who knows how many years this will be before we might turn to be laid off, that's just the nature of the business as it shrinks, but not being in an office, not being with people day to day will definitely feel weird. Um, when we were doing some hybrid remote work during the post-COVID days, I always had that sense of, well, the plant is there, I can go in when I want. And I knew that at some point we'd all be back in the office and we did. And now with it not, that realization that it's not going to be there anymore is, is definitely still sinking in. Um, I've had waves of sadness come over me from time to time, even though I'm keeping my job, um, even as I was sitting there, uh, I was getting emotional. I, first time I ever have, at this point, teared up thinking about this. I'm sure my last day in the office well, I'll, I'll cry. Um, I've been there 26 years, and have made a lot of uh, great relationships, and have had um, a really good experience working for the company um, through the ups and downs of the printing industry. And so the opportunity to kind of talk about this and what, what Ken had to say about work, um, I was really thankful that Nate asked me to do it. Um, one of, one of the problems in our culture is there's many misunderstandings or misconceptions about work. Um, some people think that work is the result of the fall and you know if we didn't have sin, we wouldn't have to work. And that's, that's not true as he pointed out and I'll touch on that in a moment. Um, uh, other misconceptions have to do with uh, hating work, uh, finding ways to avoid work. Uh, if you have to work, you're gonna do the bare minimum to get by, um, which results in producing poor work and generally will poison your relationship with your coworkers because if you do poor work, someone else has to do extra work to make up for your poor work. Um, the, uh, some people think that, you know, the, the drudgery of work is to just get you to the weekend, so you can spend all your money having fun, going out drinking, whatever your, you know, passions are, and um, the kind of the flip side of that is some people want to work really hard, as Ken talked about, he had a problem as a workaholic in his earlier days, wanting to, well, I'm going to retire early, so you work, 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 and you destroy any relationships you might have had with your family. You miss out on opportunities that your family or God could have put in front of you because all you're thinking about is working, and my goal is to retire at whatever age, and everything else gets pushed aside, and I'm sure all of you have heard a story of an adult, especially a man or woman, gets to the end of their life, and they realize, I missed so much with my children or with my wife or my husband because all I did was work. Um, so ken points out in genesis chapter 2 that god told adam to work the garden before there was sin work was something we that he did to make the earth to make the universe it was something he commissioned us to do so we should never think of work as some sort of drudgery to be avoided or um uh, some sort of punishment or uh, any anything that's kind of with a negative attitude, uh, we should think of it as something that he has given us that we can then reflect him in what we do. Um, there's a number of verses, especially in the New Testament, that talk about work. Uh, many of Paul's writings, Ephesians four twenty-eight, he told the the people in Ephesus to steal anyone who steals to steal no longer, but work. And I think we referenced this a week ago or two that. The idea there was that you would have something to share with those in need. Um, I wanna read to you 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through uh, uh, 12. Um, He's addressing the, the love they had toward the Macedonians and he urged them to make it their ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody." So one of the aspects of work for us is as as Christians as a witness to what God has done in our life and I'm sure many of you like I have seen when I did good work, uh, was on time, was a respectful co-worker, people noticed and would often either talk with you about that or sometimes guessed, are you a Christian? and it was because of your conduct on the job. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul told the Thessalonians that if someone did not work, they should not eat. One of the problems we have in our culture because we're so prosperous, we have so much time on our hands, we've come up with lots of things to complain about and lots of things to to do that aren't really productive because we are so prosperous. Um, But that's a whole different topic. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, 14, uh, Paul tells us to do everything without grumbling or complaining. So how many of you have been on a job site where you had a coworker and it was nonstop complaining all day long? And it ruins it for everybody around them. Nobody likes that person. And you don't want to be that person. So as an as a ambassador for Christ, we should definitely make sure we're not that person. Um, Colossians 3, I want to read that one for you also, Three twenty-three and 24, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So we've all had jobs we liked and jobs we didn't like. Um, the worst job I've ever had in my life, when Dawn and I were newly married, we moved to Pennsylvania, and I worked in a chicken hatchery. It was a horrendously awful job. Um, we were wet all day, there was chicken dust in the air, and breathing it in, and it was just disgusting. And it would be very easy to complain, but thankfully, God had taught me, just before that, like in in the years from when I got out of the Army to when we moved, that I had this understanding that work wasn't something to be uh, dreaded, but it was actually something that we do as to the Lord. So I started this job with the idea of not only being a good co-worker, but also who could I witness to? Who could I share Christ with? And long story short, I made friendships with the co-workers and two of the men working there uh, over the next year uh, became Christians through my developing a relationship with them. And instead of thinking about oh, this jobs terrible I can't wait to leave I made it my mission to talk to people on break and the Lord did the work and because I had that right attitude and was there to serve him he was able to reap a reward of two souls coming coming to know Jesus as Savior um, so as um, so in summary as Ken talked about in his chapter is a, a, a great chapter we, you need to view our work as worship to him, that he created us for worship so we should do it for his glory. And we should also consider that everyone around us is a potential um, soul that God is wanting to draw to him. And we might be the only Christian in their life. Some people talk about you might be the only Bible that ever is uh, in someone's life. So make sure you think about that as well. And um, keep in mind that we will do some sort of work in heaven. So if your I- idea is I'm gonna stop working as soon as possible, we're gonna be serving the Lord. We don't know what those tasks will be, but we know that the angels uh, work in heaven serving the Lord. So we'll do something on his behalf. So I'm sure it won't be nearly as bad as working in a chicken hatchery, but we are going to be doing something. We're not gonna just be sitting on clouds and uh, you know resting for you know a million years. Um, so the idea of work, as your worship with your life, as your witness for your co-workers is is really important. And um, uh, I thank Nate for the opportunity to share about it.
0: Thank you so much, Steve. That was so, so, so good. So helpful. And uh, I am just so, as as a relatively young guy, I'm so inspired by someone working at a place for 26 years. Like That's just such an awesome thing. Just being there that long, the amount of relationships that you touch, you know, that's what, one of the reasons I desire so much to be, you know, a pastor for many, many years. You get to, you get to know people through all their seasons of life. and um, But I really appreciate your perspective, Steve, and just how God's spoken to you. I mean, this, this is an important subject. This is most of our life, you know. This is most of our life. I was at, in 2015, I was invited to a Faith and Work Summit, it was called, and it was like this revolutionary concept, we got, we got there for the first day at this, at this conference, it was me and Aaron Kunzman and the, the, the speaker, Gary Hogue, who I'm borrowing a lot of information from here in this sermon, he said, um, how, what percentage of your life do you spend, your waking hours do you spend working? I mean, eight hours usually a day of your waking life you spend working? Like that's that's a, long, a big chunk of your time. Maybe we should think about this as Christians, not something that we have to do to be paid and to pay our bills, but something that we get to do as an act of worship to God. And, you know, the weird thing is that in our Christian culture, you know, work is seen as being a, a secular endeavor, and things you do in church are seen as being a sacred endeavor. So the result of that is really devastating, because we compartmentalize our lives, and we're, we're Christians. Um, through Sunday, then on Monday we're, we sort of we're into our secular work, and we're just getting through, trying to get done, so that we can get someday hopefully retired and be done with all of this. But what a tragedy to miss out on the the in between and uh, and what God has for us. In our so ever since I, I attended that conference, especially I've been very conscious of the language that I use when I talk about work or ministry. Uh, I like to think about this church being a sending agency and sending each of you into your workplaces, you know, praying, you know, and going into the workplace as being your act of worship. And whether you work in a machine shop, whether you own a school, whether you're a doctor, or you work in a, a fast food restaurant at the mall somewhere, um, these are all places where you're worshiping God. If you're a specialist and you have, you have the ability to do a medicine or be a chiropractor, or, or if you are even... A, um, an attorney or something like that, a specialist, you know, just like the people working in the fast food place, you're taking, you're, you're specializing in something and worshiping God through, through your work. And it's, it's just such an important important thing. So my prayer, since I went to that conference, whenever we meet for our weekly prayers on Wednesday, I close our time, and Linda will tell you this, I close our time saying, God, in your wisdom, show us the work that you have for us to do today. Help us to do it with all of our hearts as unto the Lord. So that when we go to bed tonight and close our eyes, we know we've accomplished the work you've called us to do. And that could be work of the ministry, like in the, in the church, or the ministry uh, in, your, in your job. Wherever people are going from that prayer meeting, you know, whether they're retired and they have relationships they're working through and helping other people, or whether they are still in the workforce, or whether they're in a church office like myself, you know, God, let us have the wisdom to know the work you've called us to do, and let us do it. Let us do it well and look back on it satisfied that we have done your will today. Work. So it makes sense that work is a huge part of the trellis of our life. Um, If we say that we are Christians, that our lives belong to God, and that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, that must be reflected in the nature of our work. So I'm curious. I I really appreciate Steve sharing about his, his first job in the chicken hatchery. But I'm curious... What was your first job? Let me shout out some first jobs out here. You were the Dairy Queen, I heard that. Yeah, Julie was the Dairy Queen at one point. The laundromat. Farm Farm boy and farm girl, okay. Stuff maker? Oh, sub maker. Yeah, she's like, I'm self-made, I'm a self-maker. I'm a self-made woman. Submaker, okay. Restaurant? Second Dog of Bible Camp. I actually worked there at one point too. Didn't, didn't we work there in parallel a little bit? Well, when I. What's that? Dishwasher. Nice. So, yeah, when, I, we, were sign, when we signed up to work at Second Dog Bible Conference, Joanna was there a little bit before me. But you sign up to be a a camp counselor for for young people, to counsel them, to minister to them, share with them. It's a Christian camp, so it's a a ministry. Of course, I'm saying all work is ministry. But once you signed up, there was a little clause in your commitment paper that said, and anything else that you may be asked to do, we expect you to do with all of your heart, as unto the Lord. So we dug up sewers. We demolished buildings. Uh, We did things that were kind of scary to think about now. Um, because it was part of our, our ministry, our work at the, at the Bible conference. You know, my first job was shoveling horse poop. From 15 to 18 years old, I was paid, there was a, a, a stable down my road. I wanted a stable job, and so I went there. <coughs> You're welcome. It was down my road, and I still, whenever I drive by that stable near my parents, I say, point it out to my kids, don't I, kids? And I say, I used to work there. Just a little older than you, I started working there. And so you mucked stalls, cleaned the indoor arena, the individual stalls. My, uh, my experience there was working with all of my heart, uh, and I listened to Howard Stern all day long. And I, there, was no, there was no sense in which the person there was like, oh, we have a 15-year-old kid, we shouldn't play Howard Stern all day long. So and I couldn't change the station, so I just listened to Howard Stern all day long. So that probably discipled me a little bit too, to be honest. Which you, some of you know me. You'd say, yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, in this job for three years, muck and stalls, uh, I ended up helping, learn, uh, feeding the horses, helping the horses with their fly problems, feeding them, gar- putting garlic in their food so they didn't get as bit up by the flies. And I ended up helping with, like, uh, gelding horses, you know, the horse rehorsification process, if you will, you know, that whole process. And uh, it, it was a really interesting job, and it surprised me. And I think that being an innocent kind of sweet little kid, the lady just like the, the lady that I worked for just like to shock me. Like, hey, Nathan, come over here. We're gelding a horse. I'm like, what's that mean? Just come over here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that was great. I, 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 in the summertime, when I wasn't shoveling, I was a front desk monitor at Birch Haven Campground, and I, I did I had bingo, I did bingo night. That was pretty fun. And uh, ate ice cream. Um, in college, I worked as a, as a TA, as a teacher assistant, and I got to reteach class material to struggling students in college, which was really, really fun. I really enjoyed that a lot. And after I graduated college with my psychology and counseling degree, uh, I tried to get a job, being young and idealistic, but you cannot get a job unless you have your master's in psychology. And so I tried, to be, I tried to even work at BOCES and be a one-to-one support person. And I, I couldn't even get that job. I could get no jobs in that field. And I was told, oh, yeah, they post the jobs, but they're already filled by somebody else. So I got very disillusioned by that whole process. But I ended up working at Walmart Distribution Center in Johnstown, New York as a, as a warehouse worker. Anyone here warehouse people? Yeah, nice. And um, yeah, I think that Joe Bartlett, who's going to be coming here with his wife, on the twentieth, uh, he he getting a job at Target distribution center. So we've been talking about that. But this is a tough job. Um, right out of college, living with my parents for a couple years, and it was it was a very harsh environment. If you've worked in warehousing, you know it's a harsh environment. And like the there's no sense in which the older, more experienced guys are trying to help the younger guys. It's like making fun of you, tearing you apart. And uh, when you make, if you make a mistake, if you're self-conscious about making mistakes anyway, you make one little mistake and you get Berated by everybody and blamed for everything, and it was just a really tough environment. And I remember, you know, here I was, 20 years old, graduated graduated in college, and I, I got trained by this guy, and he was really harsh and really not kind to me. And I went home and just cried in my room. My mom's like, Are "You okay?" I'm like, "I'm fine. I'm an adult now. <laughs> I'm an adult. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm good." But that was a great op- a great opportunity for me. I learned that, you know, you can. I I, I was a, I was a Christian. i have been a Christian for a couple years at that point. And whenever I went to my shift, I started at 4 in the morning, I, I would drive into work and I'd use that time to worship and pray and like just pray that God would help me to minister to somebody. But I also had the sense in which just being able to do the job and do it well felt like worship to me even at that time. And I really enjoyed uh, doing that. At the same time, as I was working there, I was single, so I worked at Dick Sporting Goods at the mall. So when you go to Dick Sporting Goods, I used to work there. I was the maintenance guy clean the toilets, clean the floors, creeper scrubber, and um, they still haven't been able to replace me. (laughs) That's right, because no one else wants to do this job. It's like an extra 10 cents an hour to scrub toilets all day. And that's like the toilet that everyone uses in the mall. And people like to draw pictures of things that sound like the name of the store on the side of the urinals and toilets. You have to scrub those off. It was a hard hard job. But um, during that time, I was also, you know, volunteering at my, my church. I was leading a small group. I was um, leading worship, just, just, just as, as a guy, and really enjoyed that. So this, this work as worship thing um, is near and dear to my heart. And like Steve said, I was, I was so excited to hear about his experiences of being able to lead a couple people to Christ in his job, just through being at this job and not, not grumbling and being faithful. Uh, because really, God God will um uh, if, you, if you avail yourself to God and ask him to use you to share the light of Christ, you might get beat up pretty bad in different ways. But like when that person has a tough time, they'll come to you and they ask for prayer. That's what will happen. And I got made fun of a lot in my job and different things. But I, I became well-liked and, you know, people that used to be very hostile with me. My, I, I had one kid that wanted to have lunch with me every day. And he wanted to have lunch with me because he knew I was a Christian. He wanted to tell me about the most shocking things he was doing currently in his life to try to make me feel offended. He went, this is, I'm picking up married women at bars. What do you think about that? You know, these these horrible things. And he just loved this. He loved this so much. And um, we, and, but then when his sister was in a serious car wreck and she was in a coma, he intercepted me in the parking lot before I could even sign in. He says, I've been waiting for you to be here. My sister's in a coma. I need you to pray for her. And he gave God credit when she came out of the coma. Because as much as he was hostile towards me, those people are often the ones that are the closest. They feel the most conviction. They're, they're more obsessed with Christianity than you are. <laughs> they're obsessed with Christianity. They want to, like, disprove it or whatever. It's, it's bugging them. The hound of heaven is chasing after them, and that's, they're going to give you a tough time to ride you, but if, you've, if you're if you faithful to that and you pray, you know, God will give you an opportunity. And my... I was able to lead one guy to Christ, and I was the best man at his wedding. We still visit with him every couple years when we drive south there in Carolina now. But uh, it's amazing what God can do in work. You know, as Steve said, you know, work is pre-fall. You know, God gave gave work. Uh, First of all, God worked in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creative, effective work. And then God created people, as the, as the crown jewel of his creation. And he said, now you work. Subdue the earth. Rule over it. Um, and he called us to in, into this work alongside himself. Imagine that. God is the great worker. And he invites us, the crown of his creation, made in his image to reflect his glory by joining him in his work. You know, if God could have... Um, God could have created the world in such a way that it was all finished, that everything was perfected, but he chose to leave creation unfinished and in need of cultivation. He chose humans to do that. God made work. But throughout history, even in our present day, people have viewed work as something unpleasant that must be done for money. But God just doesn't want us to look at work that way. He also, God doesn't want us to think about ministry jobs, therefore God, and then other jobs, therefore the secular world either. We had a missions conference years ago, and one of the people who attended was hearing about the mission work across over the seas, and after, after that presentation, he came up to me and he just looked kind of agitated and sad. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, well, I just wish I wasn't wasting my life in my work. I wish I was doing something for God. I talked to him about this idea, like, you are doing something for God. Your job that you're called to here, that's your place. It's not, sacred and secular work should not be separated. Because when we stop thinking of our secular work as being a sacred opportunity to worship God, we miss all these opportunities. We miss a huge percentage of our lives that could be lived for God. And, and, uh, you know, it just becomes a huge tragedy. But work is um, something that's good. Uh, something God's given, given to us, and we're going to talk about the, the Genesis passages that Steve mentioned. I was reminded in, in a book this week, one of these books, I have several books on, on work and, and the Christian. If you're interested in thinking about this topic more, there's a really good Tim Keller one here, and some of the stuff I have here is from, from these, uh, these books. But do you remember the movie WALL-E, the little robot? So it's a cute little robot, not very much um, text in the movie. It's mostly a silent film for the most part. But uh, Wally's, in, in, in the story of Wally, the humans used to inhabit Earth, but uh, then they were evacuated from Earth because they had destroyed the Earth and used all of its resources. And so Wally is there um, cleaning up the Earth in the hopes that humans can come back to Earth someday. So he meets another r- little robot named Eve. And this is the biblical imagery. The author of this movie was certainly talking about what it means to be human. That's what this, this, this film was about. What does it mean to be human? So Wally meets Eve and together they go to the, this giant spaceship in the sky and if you remember this movie, all the humans are like very unhealthy, morbidly obese in flying chairs. They're just like bodies with little stub hands and arms sticking out, drinking like sugary drinks and robots cleaning up after them watching television all day long. That's what humanity has been reduced to. That's what happens to humanity when you take work out of our life. Well, work is good for us. We're meant to be kind of horrified by this possibility. Um, that, that really is not a utopia to be on vacation. It's not a utopia to be retired. Um, I know many Christians worship the idol of retirement. They worship it. And they're like, when I get to retirement, that time's for me. You know? That it's a... It's, uh, and they, even if God, I've seen people, even if God calls them to minister in their retirement, they turn down God's call because they're like, no, this is my time. I've been working my heart for retirement. I've earned retirement. I'm done working. I do what I want. And then God doesn't get a say in your life anymore. But this, uh, this Wally situation, you know, that, that's what the creators of that movie were trying to say. What does it mean to be human? Well, part of what it means is to work, to cultivate to take care of creation, to make a difference. And it's a good, good thing. Whether you're a specialist, or you're just working in a, in a factory like I was, we were not created to be do-nothings. You know, God created us with work in mind. It's the first thing that he thought when we were conceived of by him. So God, in his, uh, in his greatness, we'll read in Genesis 1, and let's read about God creating humankind. So the tr- the Trinity is speaking to one another, the, tr- the great gods three in one, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God. And God says, let us make mankind kind in our image, in Genesis 1.26, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. Listen to that. Let us make mankind in our image, so that they may did the work, the created work. So it says in verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Do the work of co-creation. Like, be fruitful and have more children. You know, That's work. Having kids is work, right? Especially for the people that have to actually give birth to those kids. But after after they're born, it's like having a puppy for the rest of your life. They they, you know. It's a lot of work. So God God says, "Let's make man in our image, so that they can rule over the fish." And then He blessed them and said, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it." Subduing a field would be maybe uh, harvesting, uh, planting planting crops and then harvesting the crops and then tilling the soil, subdue that field. You know, Moses, the, the author of Genesis, wants us to grasp the unique place that human beings have in creation and what they're called to do. First, we're, de- we're designed to, designed by God to exercise proper dominion over creation which is a which is which is it's a stewardship role, taking care of that which doesn't belong to us. Everything belongs to God. We are caretakers, but we are to steward creation. And second, we're we're created by God to be His image bearers and to reflect who God is in His world. To, to be viceroy's of God, to be co-workers of Christ. Jesus, in the context of the gospel ministry, Jesus said, "I know. I, I call you. My, your you're co-workers of God." Showing who God is in the world. If God was here, what would God want us to do to cultivate this, this thing? So before sin entered the world, Moses wants us to know um, humans are created to work on God's behalf, to co-create with God, to fulfill the word, world, to subdue it. And we are created to, to show forth the glory of the one, the great worker of God, uh, in the earth, and to, and to cultivate those things. So as, as a worker, when I thought about cultivating, you know, working at the warehouse, I was trying to hit the right percentages, and to get orders loaded into the trucks in a timely fashion, so that everything could go smoothly, and so that the food could go out to people that needed it in the northeast of, of the world. That was my little piece of geography to subdue, and I tried to do it well and with excellence in the warehouse. Now one time, uh, I had a, there was, there was an accident made in, in uh, the computer programming, and someone put an order in the T-slot, which is the highest slot in the warehouse, and I went up with, with my forklift to get the pallet out of the slot, and it broke the main water pipe in Walmart Distribution Center and shut down operations for, like, almost a whole day. And all the stores in the Northeast had delays on their groceries because of that accident. Now, luckily, I didn't get in trouble because it wasn't my fault, but... Um, the person who made the computer error was fired. But the point is, you're, you, in, in, your, in your work that you're doing, whether it be in a warehouse or in a church or in a school or in, as a specialist in different ways or, or a fast food restaurant, God wants us to subdue. He wants us to to govern rightly. If, even if your job is to keep the coffee fresh at Stewart's, um, to make sure that that's done with excellence and just keeps moving and there's coffee for everybody. Now, if everyone did their work to the glory of God, it would be an awesome, awesome thing. Genesis 2, 5, and 6 brings us a little bit deeper. So after the men, men and women had been created and commanded to rule and then told to be fruitful and multiply, in Genesis 2, 5, and 6 we read, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, And no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Consider that sentence there was no one to work the ground. In other words, God created an unfinished creation. He did his part in watering and making things grow, but the ground was left uncultivated. That was left for us, for men and women. To do. To cultivate that ground in all the different ways that we do that in our work. This is why work can be such an act of worship to God. You know, getting orders done and on time in a timely fashion, getting schedules clear and done well, um, leadership in different ways. I know some of you do leadership work, and um, it's it's all about organization, all about communication, all about lining everything up so that it all works well. You know, part of my work is to. Do that in the body of Christ with a lot of help from a lot of people and the elders. But it, it's a it's, we're wanting it to be, um, for as a whole, for our church body to move as one forward in communication and to, to everyone know their part and be doing that part. And that's what it's all about. So God left in Genesis 2, 5, and 6, the, the world semi-uncultivated. He sent the rain, but there was no one to work the ground. So God made people to do that. So not only do we, as, as image bearers of God, men and women, not only are we the crown of God's creation and enjoying that intimacy with God, we're joining him in contributing to his unfinished work in creation. That's such a cool thing. Genesis 2 continues in, in 2.15, and it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So the Lord takes the initiative and gives man his first job. To, to work it, it says, and to keep it. The word for work it, which sounds like a cool like dance song, work it, you know, but it's avodah in Hebrew, and it means to cultivate. And this word avodah is used to t- talking about manual labor. It's used talking about worship. It's a word that's interchangeable in worship and secular environments because there is no sacred secular divide. It's all just the work of God. And this is where we get our word to cultivate from. Before sin entered the world and the corruption of the world and the corruption of work and we're given this, this truth that we are created by God in his image to cultivate, to work the ground. That the work is both the labor and, and the prayer and the ministry we do. It's all one uh, in the original context. So while we are not God... We are made in God's image and we're called to govern in God's stead. And that's why prayer becomes such an important part of all of the work that we do, because we are we're putting ourselves out there and saying, God, we're willing to do the work, whether you're a janitor or whether you're a pastor or whether you are in a warehouse job or whether you are a specialist in some kind of medical field or a lawyer. Um, here's the work before us God's inviting us to co create with Him, to work alongside Him, to be a co worker with Christ. Prayer is the way we sanctify that work. We pray over it. We ask God, let us do this effectively. Let us do this in a way that glorifies you. Let us make this the best coffee, at the best stewards in town. That's what God wants us to do. And that's in, in, that, in that way, we reflect our Heavenly Father. Here's an interesting thing about Jesus that I learned in seminary. So we, we know that Jesus was a carpenter a carpenter's son who learned carpentry. And so from the time that Jesus was very young to to the time he was 30 years old, when he began began his public ministry, he was doing carpentry. His father may or may not have been living at this time. We don't hear much about Joseph after the initial account, but Jesus was doing carpentry. The Son of God, made in God's image. And the word we get carpentry from is actually a more inclusive term called tecton, In the Greek and uh, this is this could refer to like masonry woodwork it could refer it refers to um, any kind of these 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 working on construction sites um, hoeing fields harvesting crops laying stone you know figuring out irrigation and pipe work these are all things that Jesus likely could have done as a tecton as a carpenter so from the time that Jesus, we don't know a lot about Jesus' life, but we do know that from the time he was young to the time that he started his earthly ministry, he was a carpenter. And I'm assuming he probably did that under the glory of God. And it's kind of cool. Jesus actually, the creator of the world, God created the world through Jesus Christ, the living word of God. So God creates the world in, in Genesis, and then God becomes flesh in Christ, and he subdues the creation as Jesus and gives us an example. Like, it couldn't be more clear. God created the trees. Jesus made the furniture. It's like from start to finish, we, he co-created with God. And that's what we do too. God made the, if, figuratively, God made the trees. We make the furniture. And Jesus spent 30 years of his life doing this and probably did it very, very, very well. Paul, you might know, the, the author of most of the New Testament, was a tent maker. So he made tents. When he was out of money, he made tents and sold them. He, he, he invited other disciples, hey, come and join me in my tent making work. That's where we get the term tent maker from in missions today. But this is, this is a significant part of the trellis of our lives, is, is, the, is the point. Being a co-creator with God, being a co-worker with Christ. Now, our work can become a, part, a significant part of our trellis if we change our mindset and make it into a worshipful mindset. That it's not a drudgery, but it's an act of worship. Dallas Willard said, The primary place of our spiritual formation is not in our church or small groups or 15 minutes of reading the Bible and praying but our workplace or school or at home as we change the light bulbs or diapers. He said, to to, to not find your job to be the primary place of discipleship is to automatically exclude a major part if not most of your waking hours from life with God. The gospel turns your work into a spiritual formation training center. Think about that. We change our mindset. We begin to view our work as being a co-creator with Christ, subduing whatever God has for us to do and and doing it with all of our hearts as unto the Lord Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. I'm I'm going to reread Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if you're working for the Lord. Not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving? Whatever you do, whatever work God's given you, however he's placed you in this workforce, to view as a spiritual formation pressure chamber, a place where your character is developed, where you subdue and organize and provide excellence uh, not because your boss says you have to, but because you are serving God, not men. And then Psalm 90, a prayer for our work. I'll pray this for you. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90. We're closing with a song called Prepare Him Room. It's normally a Christmas song, but we're, we are singing this as a prayer um, that we are preparing, asking God to prepare room in our work for Him to come even to this part of our life that we may have accidentally segmented from our worship to make it a place of worship, just like everything else that we do, that we glorify God and all that He's called us to do.